It is July 7th, 2019, and this is episode one of Rooster Tail Talk. Welcome, my name is David Newton, and this show is dedicated to one thing and one thing alone, hydroplanes. We're going to be talking about anything related to hydroplanes, so if you're interested in that, this is a show for you. Today you're going to be learning a little bit about myself, my backgrounds with the sport, my love for and passion for hydroplanes. We're going to talk about first memories of hydroplanes what your experiences were, and then we're also going to talk about the Gold Cup. This is Sunday. The Gold Cup just ended hours ago in Madison, Indiana. It's a really exciting race. We're going to talk talk about that a little bit, break it down, and I'm going to lay lay out what to expect from me and what you should expect in the show. All right, get comfortable, sit back, and welcome to Rooster Tail Talk. Well, hello there, and welcome to Richard Tail Talk. This is a brand new telecast or podcast. I uh, I'm taking it upon myself to do. Uh, no one else out there is doing this right now. I thought, well, why not me? Why can't I do it? Let's give it a try. Maybe it'll be easy. Maybe it won't. But we'll find out together. Uh, but this is going to be a show dedicated to preserving the history, breaking down the racing, even looking towards the future. Of the sport that I love and have been around for many years, hydroplane racing. So this this show is about one thing and one thing alone. It's anything anything to do with hydroplanes. Uh, my name is David Newton, and we're gonna on this show we're gonna discuss a lot of different things. We're gonna talk about drivers, boats, owners, legends of the sport. We're gonna even talk about fans, and we're we're gonna do interviews. And we're going to talk about anything that's involved with unlimited hydroplane racing. Now, I love hydroplane racing. I've been around it my whole life. Growing up in the 80s and 90s, I could tune in on the local sports news on TV and catch uh, little snippets of, uh, of test sessions around Lake Washington uh, little highlights, recaps of races that happened uh, afterwards at the end of the weekend, Sunday night. And they would even broadcast on ESPN, later on Speed Vision. Um, there's a few other, Fox Fox Sports, uh, Root Sports. So they had some televised things about it, but there was never quite enough. And nowadays, the only thing, only places I can find any news about hydroplanes are on Facebook. And a few of my buddies when they know a little bit more than I do. And I, I, I really wish there was more for that, for this sport in that sense. I really wish that, uh, you know, drive, when you're driving to work and you listen to sports talk radio, that you could hear some chatter about hydroplanes. When you're home at night, killing time, watching ESPN and Sports Center, it'd be fun to, to see a little segment about hydroplanes. So there's no real outlet right now for you if you're a hydroplane fan like myself. So I figured there should be something else out there, right? Why can't why can't there be a podcast, something simple like that that we could we could have as a vessel to continue the chatter, to continue the news, the rumors, the gossip, what's going on, preserve the history, 
And I figured, hell, it can't be that hard. Why don't I give it a try at it? Give it a give it a try, right? I see there's thousands of other podcasters out there. So I figured it must not be too hard, too difficult. I'll give it a shot. So, so here we are. Episode one, the pilot. And my goal is to do a bi-weekly podcast. So every other week have some form of an episode for you to listen to. Um, I want every week to, or every episode, not every week because we're going to do it bi-weekly, but every episode I want to have a guest on here, interview someone related to the sport. I want to talk to drivers. I want to talk to legends. I want to talk to crew members. I want to talk to owners, but I also want to talk to just fans themselves. I want to hear stories. I want invite others into their lives and to hear these stories because there's always so many great and fascinating stories that you hear if you're affiliated with a racing team, you're in the shops, you're in the museum, and there's so many fantastic stories out there that I'm blown away because I always hear new stories, it seems, every time I visit one of these places, but not everyone has access to them, so I'm hoping that this can be a place for it. And this is this podcast is going to be dedicated and meant for anyone with a passion, a liking, a love for this sport. I don't care if this is day two for you. You just moved in from the East Coast and just learned about hydroplanes. Or you've been around hydroplanes for 70 years and just can't get enough of it. I want, I want to preserve as much of this as we can. And... And just continue to talk about it. My goal is also to talk about the technical side a little bit. Learn more about how the boats work. The aerodynamics, the hydrodynamics, all the racing gear. And what it takes to have a hydroplane. And race one safely and fast. So on this this journey... We're going to share it together. We're going to learn more about it. We're going to hear stories. We're going to, hell, we're going to spread some gossip and rumors. Why not? That's fun, right? So we're going to do this together. But before we travel down that path, I probably want to know a little bit more about myself. Who is this guy? Where is he from? Why does he care so much? Well, my name is David Newton. I'm from Renton, Washington, a suburb of Seattle. I've lived in Renton and Seattle my entire life. I haven't gone very far. I went to. I lived in Renton and Seattle my entire life. I haven't gone very far. I went to the school district here growing up. I went to the University of Washington, lived in Seattle, got my degree in history, went into teaching. So right, currently I'm a teacher, so I got summers off, so this is a perfect time to start this podcast, by the way. Uh, school teachers, perfect job for hydroplane racing. Whether you're the racer or a fan of it, you get some extra time in the summertime to enjoy this sport. So that might have been a little guilty uh, reason why I went into the teaching field. But anyways, I've been around hydroplanes my entire life. I... I'm a local here to the Seattle region, which is a hotbed for hydroplane racing. 
probably a pre premier destination if you're a hydroplane enthusiast. I know some people out there in Detroit might not be too happy to hear that, but what, we got one team out there right now, the first in how many years, and we've got pretty much every other team out here in Seattle. But I was born, I was literally born into hydroplane racing. My father was Roger Newton. My mother was Martha Newton. They were both Seattle natives. They grew up knowing the hydroplanes and, and loving them. My dad, uh, he, he literally breathed, ate, slept, and lived for hydroplanes. We could have conversations for hours on end about hydroplane racing. It didn't matter what holiday it was, where we're at. We, we found a way to talk about hydroplanes. But growing up, my dad, he was on some crew teams. He helped restore some boats in the museum, the Hydroplane Race Belt Museum. And we also he also raced remote-controlled scale hydroplanes. He created a few different clubs in the area. He created RC Unlimiteds in the 70s. He helped to create a couple 110 scale clubs, uh, Classic Thunder, and then later ERCU um, in the 90s and early 2000s. And he helped create these clubs that were for hydroplane fans that either couldn't or didn't want to step in into a boat, but they wanted that experience. So I've, I've raced since I was about, I don't know, seven or eight. I raced remote-controlled scale hydroplanes in one form or another, whether it be electric, nitro-powered, gas-powered, one-six scale, one-eight scale, one-tenth scale. My father and I, we... If we could build a scale model of it and race it, we were happy. So my earliest memories, I've always been around boats. My love for it didn't end at the models. I love the, the real ones. I love the hydroplanes. As I said, my father was a crew member. He was even crew chief for a number of years. Um, he crewed for Ken Muscatel's team. Uh, before that, in the late 80s, early 90s, he did... A couple things for Budweiser. Never got on the crew, but he did a couple things for them. He uh, he was a crew member for the Winston Eagle team. He was proud of that. He was actually a paid member for a short while. But he was also a member for a long, long time with Ken Muscatel, Superior Racing. Um, and he was a crew chief in the late 90s, uh, early 2000s, when they were free, free internet. Uh, Miss Free Eye, the Miss Rock. Silver Dollar Casino. So there's a lot of lot of tight a lot of days and nights I would go down and help him help him out and the team out in the shop when I could and when he let me. <laughs> he didn't always let me go to the shop or let me go to the races with him. Um, one thing I'm still bitter about is he never wanted me to go back east with him for some reason. Um, he didn't want me to go to Detroit or Madison with him. I asked a couple times and I stopped asking after he said no every time. I'm not sure what that was about, if there was, I joked that he had a second family back there, but but he never wanted me to go back there. A little bitter about that, if you can't tell, but hopefully Detroit will get a race back and I'll be able to go and, and uh, enjoy that for the first time sometime soon. But wherever I could, I, I, I was there doing that with him, and that was... It was such a fun bonding thing to do with your father. 
But it's just fun to to enjoy the sport. Because, God, I love the sport. It's It's been described as a valley on water. It's, it's beautiful. It's a family event. There's so many people that, that know each other and they're there for one another. But it's also, it's fast. There's your speed. It's a violent sport. But it's just, it's a sport that when you're into it, you're into it all the way. It's so much fun. Well, that's pretty much it for myself in a nutshell. Um, I still do the remote controls, uh, hydroplanes. Uh, I currently race uh, actively in a couple clubs around the area. I race 1.8 scale nitro and 1.8 scale electric. I have a model of the 1993 Miss Budweiser, uh, the golden red one. It's probably my favorite one of my favorite Budweiser's. I also have a model of the 1984 Island Security Systems, which that's another story in itself. It's a kind of an odd pick, but there's a special meaning to that boat for myself as well. And then in 10 scale, I have a model of the 1966 Harris Tahoe Miss and the 1985 Squire Shop. Beautiful boats. I didn't build those, but they uh, recent acquired, uh, recently acquired beautiful boats um but it's it's fun it's a fun thing to do to get around out with your friends in the clubs and just have a, a little taste of hydroplane racing we race them some race harder than they should because it is it is a hobby that i do but it's fun to build the boats build the models geek out on the history of the sport and get it a little taste of what racing's like. It's nothing, it's not the same at all as being part of a team, an organization that's out there racing, but you get a little taste of it. Well, all right, I want, I want to change gears a little bit. I want to talk about something I was thinking about the other day, about first impressions. Well, not even first impressions, but your first memory your first true memory of being around something you loved and thinking about hydroplane racing. I have a lot of things I remember in the past, but when I was younger, I've snid bits of going to uh, the Coors Dry test session in the 92 when they were down at Stan Sayers Pits. They were giving out free hot dogs. I probably ate about 20 of them and I, they, until they told me to stop. I remember going to some test sessions for the bud in the late 80s early 90s other teams but my most vivid memory that i can recall at an early age was in 93 so i would have been seven years old no six years old at that time and i remember going to tri-cities in 1993 my father was helping out canvas to tell i don't think he was full-time on the crew yet uh, but he he was there with me and my mom, and we were there a lot of on the beach. We had a little spot with uh, RC Unlimited's model gang, and we watched all the heat racing, the testing from the shorelines. And the most vivid memory I have of that was sitting on the, on the shoreline, on the Kennewick side, probably three quarters of the way down the front stretch, in between the starting line and, and the entrance pin. And the thing about Tri-Cities there is the pits is on the far 
right side by the blue bridge. So when you're sitting there on the shoreline, <coughs> excuse me, when you're sitting there on the shoreline, you can't see the boats in the pits. You can't see the cranes. You can't see them being lowered in the water. You can't see them being worked on on the, on the shore. You can only see them when they're on a plane almost approaching the apex buoy going probably 60, 80 miles an hour. And I remember them each going out one by one. And in 93, all the teams did a fantastic job, a stellar job of their paint schemes. Each one was unique, different, vibrant, colorful, bright. There were so many day boats. It was, it was amazing. That was a fan's dream to see all these different boats. And the designs back then, every boat was unique to its own. There was no copycat of each other, per se. Like the boats nowadays are all pretty much have the similar looks, right? There's subtle changes, but they're very, very small to notice. Like you have to be a true hydro nut to, to notice the small differences. But back then, they all looked different. You had Lucero hulls, Jones hulls, Leland hulls. You had boats that were mashed up and and just, I call it a Frankenstein boat. They take parts together and, and throw it together, right? But I remember seeing the, the bright Daglow Winston Eagle, the golden red Budweiser come out, the green and red, might even Daglow red, Oberto, and the, the Daglow orange and the bright blue frosted flakes with the, the tiger stripes, the beautiful orange, yellow, and white tide, the pink circus circus. I know there was a rock, I think it was the the first year of the turban rock it was all white and neat brown a little bit of red and black and god i know oh ken's boat was bright yellow and blue and cooper's express was there red and white and i know there was on the was it taco time i think it was taco time the yellow um fendler hall was there and there was there were some other ones there too but they're all just beautiful, beautiful boats. And I just remember them seeing them come out one by one. And it just gave me goosebumps. Just, just just seeing them get on the water and getting on a plane just gave me goosebumps. And I knew at that moment I was hooked for life on this sport. But the racing was great. I remember every heat Winston Eagle and Budweiser were in together. They were deck to deck, bashing into each other, breaking parts, repairing them, coming back out and breaking them again. Uh, there was, that was, would have been my first crashes I would have seen. Uh, I remember Vilwalk flipping the Circus Circus on the backstretch early on Sunday morning. And back then they had the flag starts. They didn't have a time start. They, had, they were all in flag starts. And for whatever reason, he had a hard time getting on plane, getting out there on the race course. So he was behind everyone. Everyone was bunched up going into the left corner. He was hauling ass going on the backstretch trying to catch up. Race hadn't even started yet. They're trying to get ready for the start. He's hauling ass going up the backstretch and caught a gust and went over before the start. And that was, I believe, Circus Circus's last ever entry into hydroplanes. Last race. And then later on in the day, the tide going over in the left corner. I can't remember who they were chasing down. I think they were racing C+. 
going into the left corner, going into the sun, and they went over. And back then, when you go around the pits and go into the merchandising area, every team had a tent or a booth or a trailer just chocked full of memorabilia you could buy. You could spend hundreds of dollars there on brand new stuff. Budweiser always had the, the top of the class trailer. Winston Eagle, Smoking Joe's always had a nice one. I think Tide had a great one that year. I remember getting a lot of Tide stuff. Frosted Flakes as well. And I got an Alberto shirt I'm still wearing. I don't fit into it that well, but I still have it. But it was, I just remember it was so much fun walking through and seeing all the stuff you could buy. Big and my mom, big and my dad to buy that for me. I remember Winston Eagle had some games you could play. I think there was one that had, uh, it was like a like a squirt gun thing. And you try to hit, hit the target and the boats would go off. So you're doing like a boat race. And you're trying to get the water to them. And I remember going down into the pits and I had a program that year. And I got every single driver's autograph. And it was so exciting to see the drivers and meet them and be up close with them and see the boats. That was my, it was, oh, it was, it was amazing. And that was my vivid first memory I've, I have of being around the hydroplanes at a racing event and experiencing top to bottom, start to finish. Oh, so much fun. But I'm wondering, those of you out there listening to this, I wonder what your first memories were. What's What's the first time that you remember being at a race, being out down at the lake, seeing the boats up and close and up close and personal for the first time, seeing how big they are. If you watch the videos on TV, you don't get the true feeling of how big they are. And starting your passion for this this sport. But I want to hear it. I want you to email me, send me in a little detailed message about what the first time was for you. I don't care if you've been around the sport 70 years, two days, half your life, whole life. You're just getting into, into it. I want to hear what your first moment was. What brought you into hydroplane racing and what it was like for you. So send me an email. My email address is roostertailtalk at gmail.com. So roostertailtalk, all one word, R-O-O-S-T-E-R. T-A-I-L-T-A-L-K at gmail.com. Write up a quick memory you have and send it out to me. And I'll, I'll read a couple off on my next episode. I'd love to hear what brought you into the sport and what that first time was for you and what it meant to you. I know to me it was, it's a moment I, I cherish. And every time I go over to Tri-Cities to the Columbia Cup, which I'm going here in a few weeks. It's it's not too far off. It's it's uh it brings back brings me back a little bit to that first time in '93 that I remember so vividly. Now I, I remember having this conversation with my dad years and years and years ago, and his memory is a little bit different than mine because he grew up in a different century almost. But he 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 was a fan of hydroplane racing when it began here in the '50s. He was uh, lived in Mount Baker. He would see the test sessions every once in a while. He'd hear it, go run down on his bike, 
But he said, but for whatever reason, for the first few summers in the early 50s, my father, they went to a summer home out at Shady Lake. They had a little bit of property there, a little cabin. And they had a TV so they could watch the races there. <clears throat> they watched the live coverage. Um, I don't know if it was King or Como or, or CBS, but all the channels covered it. But it was in black and white. So we didn't get the, the true feeling of what it was, right? The true, the bright colors, the noise, the sense of being at the races. And he said it was around 1953 or 54 he was able to go down there for Seafair. And it was, he got there early in the week. The pits were fenced off. He couldn't go in there. He didn't have a pass. He's just a little kid running around there. But he said he clung to the fence. And he saw the slow motions four and the slow motions five resting there on their trailers. And it was like, to him, these are his words, he told me. But to him, it was like walking into Oz. The Wizard of Oz. That moment... When Dorothy goes from Kansas, it's black and white, lands in Oz, and everything's in color. That was it for him. He saw the beautiful mahogany decks, the red striping, the yellow tail, or yellow and red on the slow motions four and five. And that was his moment there, that he truly fell in love with the sport. He said from that moment on, he was hooked. He couldn't get enough of it. He was begging and pleading to get into those pits. And I know years later he got his wish to come true as he crewed for many teams and and got to live his life as he wanted it to around the boats. And he even got to help restore the four and the five. And I know early on in the 90s when he did that, he helped the museum, the Thunderboat and Raceboat Museum, that... He he lived his dream there. He That's another one of his proudest moments was helping to restore the four and the five and getting to ride in it. He got to ride in the five over in Lake Chelan. And I, I know he's still smiling up there in heaven about it. Because every picture he had from those days when he's around there, he's, he's beaming from ear to ear. All right, well, that was my memory, my, my father's first memory. Make sure you send me an email. I want to hear what your memory was, wherever you're out there. Maybe you followed the sport for many years, weren't able to see it up and close and personal until you were able to get out into a trip to Seattle or Madison or Detroit. Maybe you were around it the whole, your whole life like I was. So let me know. Email me, roostertailtalk at gmail.com. I want to hear about it. Well, the Gold Cup just ended. I I don't know about you. I watched the race online. I watched it through YouTube, the streaming channel there. I hope you got a chance to. I would say by far, at, out of the, all the streaming years that they've done, this was the best that they could have done. The aerial footage through the drones... The store footage, they had a few different cameras out there. I think they had, I want to say three or four. It might have only been two or three, but it seems like there was three or four cameras out there. 
that just took stunning footage. It was absolutely stunning. There were camera angles uh, on the boats that I don't think I've ever seen in all the years that it's been covered on ESPN, ABC Sports, Root Sports, Fox One, whatever. Um, not as much in the Gold Cup, but at the first race in Alabama in Gunnersville, there were a couple of heats there where they put the, they parked the drone almost probably just just to the right of the starting line on the front stretch, and it seemed like it was about 20, 30 feet off the the water, and you could you could get such you got such a good glimpse of all the boats coming down the front stretch for the start. It was that has to be my favorite footage I've I've had I've seen of an unlimited hydroplane. In all of the years. That was a spectacular footage. It was it was so cool to see that because you know you don't ever get that that glimpse, that angle uh on, on the races. Oh, it was beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. It was really interesting too because you could see how the buoys aren't perfectly lined up on the straightaways. I know in Alabama you could see, and I think you could see in the Gold Cup too, there was a few buoys <clears throat> that drifted out and weren't lined up properly. So if you're in lane one, you had to scoot out a little bit to make sure you didn't hit the third buoy that was out, probably a lane. Man, I couldn't imagine having to go around the course and be constantly um, watching out for that. That's got to be really hard for those drivers. Because it's not a perfectly lined up course all the time. As a fan, you think it's, the officials, they always got it uh, lined up perfectly, which I'm sure they did in the morning. But with water, there's changing conditions all the time, especially in Madison. You're in a river. You have currents that's going, changing uh, velocity all day long. You can't keep the buoys in the same spot every lap. So that's that's really hard for a driver. I'm sure that's that was a challenge they had to, to uh, face in Madison. But, man, that footage was awesome. Best streaming I've ever seen. Now, they had Jeff Ayler, I believe his name, was the announcer for Madison. He did a great job. You could tell he was a lifelong fan. He had a, a I don't know, Kentucky accent. I don't know what you call that, but it had, it had a kind of a, a local flavor to it that I thought was kind of fun. And the racing, I think it was great racing. I mean, there were seven boats there. I know some people out there were disappointed and upset. There's only seven boats there. I know. I wish there were. I wish there was twenty boats there. To be honest, but you look at history's past. There were there were gold cups that only had seven boats before. Look at take a look. Go do me a favor. Go on your computer later today. Go on YouTube. Type in. 1986 Gold Cup Detroit. You look at that race. They only had seven boats to qualify. They had seven boats in 1986. 33 years ago. And a lot of people would say that was the heyday. Of sponsorships, boat counts, racing, uh, race sites, etc. So to be in that pinnacle time of hydroplane racing... You have seven boats show up and qualify for the Gold Cup. Well, I would say we're not doing too bad right now. And this, the boats that we have and the drivers we have are really, I would say, great quality. They're, 
if you're going by driver experience and talent alone, you can't really decide who's going to win that race. I know Home Street, they had a leg up, right? They had, they qualified, oh, what was it, six miles an hour faster than the next fastest boat. But you take that element of the, the nice qualifying water out of it, bring in the rough race water, unpredictable race water, the challenge of the gun, the starting clock, the rough water in turn one, turn two of Madison. There's a lot of things that, that come into play and are equalizers for other teams. And if you watch the final heat, you could say, well, he Jimmy Shane just walked away with it, right? It was his. But he had to do a lot of things to win that. It, it wasn't given to him, right? He had to have a good start. He had to have a great lane, right lane position. He had to handle and survive that first corner, which many boats throughout the weekend weren't able to do. I know J. Uh, J. Michael Kelly and the Graham, he had a pretty bad uh, hop or spin in that corner in one of the heats, I don't know if it was heat four or heat three. And I believe the 11 had a hard time getting through there once. Um, and Tate in that final, God bless him. I, I don't know how they were able to not collide into a repeat of Vilwak and Steve David. Um, years ago, was that back in 2011 when they crashed and, oh my God, but he, in that final, he, he saved it. They didn't collide. He went through Jimmy Shane's rooster tail and he was able to keep the boat on the course. That alone, I would say some driving talent, but Jimmy Shane drove a great race. He... Drove lights out all weekend. He was top qualifier. I, th I think he won every single heat. He had a perfect day. Won all four rounds. Won the final. And even though he had a qualifying advantage, it's it's. I would say it wasn't given to him. All right. It's not 2001 when Budweiser qualified like 15 miles an hour faster than everyone else. Right. The boats are more equal now. He does have an advantage, but it's not not that big of an advantage. And you got great drivers out there. J. Michael Kelly, fantastic driver. I don't know what happened to him in the final, but that was kind of a fluke for him, right? He he's usually the master of getting lane one and, and nailing the starts. Tate, he he jumped the gun. They didn't call it after the race was over. But if you but if you look at YouTube. And take a look, earlier this evening, H1 Unlimited, they posted video of the start of the final heat, which I think is a fantastic move by that part, because that shows the fans what's actually going on, and takes a lot of that judgment out. You go over there, they have the clock in the corner, and they show the clock every tenth of a second. And if you slow it down and pause it at zero, God, Tate, he's only over by half three quarters of a boat length he's over but he was he was pushing it right there so you got you got tate you got shane you got j michael you got this fellow out of canada bert henderson which he's he's a he's a lights out driver 
His boat's coming along. He's going to be one to watch. And you got Corey Peabody, who's not in the fastest equipment, but he's an upcoming driver. I I know they got more on that 11 that Tom uh, with Tom Thompson. They're just having a bad string of luck this year so far. But I expect coming into Tri-Cities in Seattle, they're going to have a bit more to show. And I think there's there's going to be some more boats in Tri-Cities. It's going to be a fun one to watch. There's going to be a lot of competition. But for the Gold Cup, there was a lot of great things happening for them. I know the boat count was down, but they had some great racing. The streaming was excellent. The commentator did a great job. Um, it was really fun how interactive they had the streaming, the qualifying, testing, with the heat racing, the different camera angles. Um, man, it was, it was fun to see the Spirit of Detroit team uh, push a little bit harder in some of the heats, catch some breaks. Um, and Graham, I felt, man, I felt bad for them in that final heat, in that start. He got he he got put out of it right away. I'm not sure what happened with J. Michael, but I was really hoping that there was going to be a three-way race there with J. Michael, Shane, and Tate. That would have been something to watch. Hopefully we can get that in Tri-Cities or Seattle. But as, as a racing perspective goes, I would say a hydroplane's got it going on right now. They're fun to watch. They're a great show. So there's there's a lot of potential for them, right? And while I was watching that live streaming, I was I was on my phone on Facebook. Uh, there's several pages out there that do a great job of updating um, what's happening on over there um, to fans like me who are at home and and want to see what's going on in the race. Um, it's fun to see the H1 Unlimited, the Hydra News, um, and some of the team pages. Um, that that give you that information, little snippets of what the driver said after the heats, um, what's going on with the boats, the qualifying speeds, the penalties that were assessed, um, rumors going around the pits, um, boats uh, that um, had some issues explaining what's going on with them. Um, and... It's unfortunate that you have to look at Facebook and or just a live streaming on YouTube to get this information out. So hopefully with this podcast, we can kind of spread some more cheer and love for the sport. And who knows, maybe we'll inspire someone else to do something similar. Another challenge for those members out there or for people out there listening. Send me an email and tell me if you're at the race, how it went, what for you. Maybe you got a story you want to share, and I could share it out with the listeners. And what your impressions were of the Gold Cup. Maybe you watched the streaming online, and you liked it. Maybe you thought they did something bad, you didn't like. Um, the one thing I would like to see, though, is uh, another camera um, down there for the interviews. I know Omen Blauman, who was doing a good job of interviewing the drivers on the docks. But it would have been nice to have had a closer-up video footage of that, and maybe some better audio of some of those some of the sound bites were pretty hard to hear on my TV. Um, but otherwise, I just thought it was fan- absolutely fantastic. Absolute uh, fantastic for the fans to see uh, a bit more than I just remember just a couple years ago, you had basically one person in the tower taking what looked like footage from their, cam- or their phone. So, so good job, H1. Um, kudos to you. And great 
excellent job on that aerial footage. You're, it's just keep it going because the fans like it. All right, we're going to call that a wrap for today, for our first episode. I really appreciate you tuning in, listening to me talk and rant about hydroplanes. We're going to have more of this. We're going to continue, hopefully make this bigger and better, give you some more insight, more information about this sport. Uh, a few weeks away, we're almost there to the Columbia Cup, Tri-Cities, Washington. Before that, I even heard rumors. There's going to be a test session on Lake Washington down at Stan Sayers Pits in July. I do not remember the last time there was a test session at Stan Sayers Pits in July, let alone any time of the year. It's been, I feel like it's been a few years since any team has, embraced, or has tested down there. So I'm really excited for that. The old boy Alberto is going to be down there. Driver Jeff Bernard, he's back. He's going to be racing. He's going to be on, on hand. I'm going to be interviewing him from the pits. We're going to get some insight on what's going on with that team, what to expect from them. Uh, hopefully I can talk to a few more people down there. So I'll bring that to you in the next episode. And we're also going to preview the Columbia Cup. I think there's going to be 10 or 11 teams there. We're going to talk about each team, who's going to be there, what their chances are to win, and what we should see from them. Uh, I'm excited. Hope you are too. Thanks again one last time for listening to Roostertail Talk. This is David Newton. Uh, for more news about our podcast, please check us out on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. The name is Roostertail Talk. Please also hit that subscribe button so I know that you're listening out there. And until next time, I'll see you at the races.